Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. The house. Try with you every Saturday morning. It's the second Saturday of the month, so we are talking trees, and we have returning guest, Mr. Richard Atkins, certified arborist, joining us. And uh, pleasure to see you this morning. We were both talking beforehand. Kind of a nice little nip outside. Yeah, it's a beautiful morning. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it was uh, in the low 40s this morning. Very pleasant coming up, driving up here. What a wonderful morning. Going to be a beautiful day. I felt when I got here that it, it felt colder than when I left the house. So I don't know if there's a little weather moving in or if it's just my mind playing tricks on me. But it's one of those days you're like, man, I, how, how do I get out of work so I can just enjoy this? <laughs> yeah, we get it out this afternoon because I think coming this week, probably tomorrow evening, Monday morning, we're gonna probably going to get a little bit of rain, going to be a little cooler. And I understand we had a nice rain here last week. The family was in Las Vegas for the rodeo finals for our middle daughter. And I heard we had like a record-setting rain day, and we missed it all. I'm going to be right with you. I was out of town as well. I flew in very late Saturday night, and everything was wet and went home. There was over an inch in our meter there. And if I could get on my water-saving soapbox, Maricopa residents... Your sprinkler system should have been turned off a week ago. Indeed. And it shouldn't even be thought about getting turned back on until we see if we get this next rain. You, right. you could go three weeks with no irrigation. And I was checking soil moisture um, just on Thursday because usually we dry out because it is so dry here. But, no, the soil moisture is held because that was a very good rain. So nothing... Long, saturating, exactly. soaker. So nothing really needs to be running right now. And something that you will uh, may notice, from what I understand, is you deciduous trees, you may notice some additional leaf drop for after that rain. Right, because the extra moisture came into the soil, so the trees are starting to store their nutrients. And then just that little nip of cold that we've been having in the mornings, yeah, all the leaves are starting to drop now. And if it turns um, like Monday, Tuesday, and it gets colder, you're going to see just about all the deciduous trees are going to start to be bare. I was driving in this morning, and there was a couple properties on the road that back up to the street that are uh, larger irrigated properties that they did not overseed. And so you see the dormant Bermuda grass. And I actually kind of looked at it and thought, that's kind of nice because it feels like fall. You know, there's something about a, a fresh, green, lush winter lawn that disconnects the, the feeling of fall. I'm like, that feels like fall just looking at those properties. Yeah, you're seeing that little that brown tinge as well as, you know, the trees of color right now. You can see the Chinese pistache showing those really nice red bronze leaves. And then the Arizona ashes, just beautiful bright yellow right now. Really gives you that fall feel. Well, if you like to talk trees, you can join the conversation at one 767 4348 one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, or you can email us at info at rosieonthehouse If you need to send an image for a picture or plant for plant or uh, insect identification, you generally we have a, a tree of the month, and then we're focusing on the Texas ebony today. One of my favorite. Uh, it's not really a 
I wouldn't say native Arizona because it's not really part of this quote Sonoran Desert list. No, it's a Chihuahuan desert tree. Um, basically, East Texas, Southern Mexico is where you'll find it native. But still does very well. Very low use plant and a a pretty green color. It's a different green hue than our Palo Verdes or our, our or the mesquites. Indeed, it's a much darker green color, and it holds all year round. It's very forms a very dense canopy. Um, they were very popular about 15, 20 years ago. You don't see them so much anymore. Um, still in the nurseries, but people aren't planting them a lot. I think basically because everybody thought they were kind of a small patio tree, <laughs> when actually, you know, there's 30 to 40 foot on maturity. It's a very large tree that needs its space. So, I mean, there's a place in your landscape for it. And you've got to have some pretty hardy skin or some thick uh, <laughs> some some thick clothes on when you go trim them. Indeed. There's a lot of spines. There are a lot of spines by all of the leaves as they come out, the compound leaves. Um, I like pruning them, you know, but I like pruning things with spines and thorns on them. But um, then the branches tend to hang really low. They have like a zigzag form to them, great for nesting. Um, lots of birds. You want a lot of bird activity on your property. It's a good tree to have. But, um, yes, you need to, like, lift them up. The main pruning you do for Texas ebony is just to elevate it because it wants to cover the bark to protect it from sun scald. But, yeah. Got those spines on there that they'll, they'll grab you and won't let go. I was surprised when we put a couple in our yard how dirty they are and the, 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 the pod drop. Uh, and those pods you can almost use as a self-defense weapon. I mean, they're so big. I was ecstatic to hear you say this morning they're edible. Because they're, they're not getting raked up and thrown away anymore. I'm throwing a sheet down and work. Man, if I, if I got something in my yard producing that much edible stuff, I'm going to find a way to take advantage of it. Right. And that is one of the, uh, I say if there's a downside, is they are, they can be messy. The litter from the pods. And those pods, you know, they can be up to six inches or <laughs> even longer. Huge. Very large, dark, brownish, black color. Uh, make nice rattles. I mean, you can definitely, you know, do a musical instrument out of them. But they are indeed edible. Um, if you get the pods when they're young, because the, the tree flowers throughout the summer, it's kind of a nice white, creamy color flower, a little bit of a musty smell. Mm -hmm. um, but then it forms those pods. When they're green, you can actually pick those and put them like in a stir fry, almost right. like a sweet pea. And if you wet them, let them mature a little bit longer, and you have to use like a nutcracker to get those <laughs> shells open like you said it's yeah, like a yeah, weapon yeah. they're very it hard is, is. and the beans inside they have a very hard shell so you can like either ro dry roast them in the oven or give them a little pan fry with a bit of oil until that cracks open all right and it's actually a nice nutty flavor you know it's i don't think it's as good as the ironwood yeah bean but there's a source you have to work for it a little bit okay. getting them out of those all pods right. but they are indeed edible well two quick things and you said they're not as popular, but you can still find them in the nursery to oh, plant. Yes, indeed. They are still available on the market. It's just they kind of fell out of favor because they started getting large and people didn't know what to do with them. And they're one that you could plant and don't need a lot of water. And you could probably help regulate some of the growth just by you know, helping it get established and then just you know, letting the rain irrigation, it, it'll survive the summer's drought. Oh, indeed. They're very drought tolerant, and they tolerate a lot of different types of soils. So you get them established here, and um, 
yeah, you really no extra water is needed. Now, if you want them to grow faster, because they are fairly slow growing, give them a little bit more water and you know, they'll, they'll perk up a little bit. But really, very drought tolerant, good tree for your xeric landscape. And you mentioned the beans not as good, in your opinion, as the ironwood. And the ironwood is another great uh, desert tree that is, it's my favorite desert tree. Indeed, mine too. Um, I mean, it has spines on it as well. Um, not quite as evergreen. It doesn't have that same dark green color as the Texas ebony. And like you said, I think the beans are a little bit better. There's other people's opinion, but, you know, they're all, both beans are very high in protein, good fat content, and um, very nutritious. Well, but if you roast them all in butter, what does it matter? Right? <laughs> Put them next to your hazelnuts <laughs> when you're putting them in there and just have a, you know, a nice mixture. Now you're cooking. <laughs> Yeah, could you – do they all bloom at the same time? You could do your mesquite medley, and medley. <laughs> your uh, ironwood and your ebony all together? Uh, your, your mesquites and your ironwoods are going to bloom first, and you're going to be eating those before you get to the Texas okay. ebony. Now, one thing that John and I had always talked about before he decided to retire uh, for the Talking Trees program was get a list of places people could go see – the tree of the month in a public space so that if somebody's new or they don't know what it looks like, uh, it seemed like a lot of times we end up defaulting to, uh, interestingly enough, a lot of the university campuses, they all have arboretums on them. And a lot of times they'll have samples of these or Boyce Thompson. But, you know, I always wanted a couple options so people could go, you know, not everyone can get to Boyce Thompson today. Or, you know, if you're out driving around and you took a one-mile detour, it'd be a little more convenient. Is there some place that comes to mind somebody could go see a Texas ebony in a public uh, setting? I guess other than Rosie's house where he's got them. <laughs> um, right now, because there's not, you know, most of them are on private property just because of the spines and the size of them. So, um the cities don't like not too much in your parks, but I'll tell you, I can right off the top, I can think of there's one area in Kiwanis Park in Tempe. Most okay. people should be familiar with that. It's a large regional park, right there where Mill Avenue turns on to All American Way as you enter the park. There's three good sized Texas ebony's right in the median, quite healthy, um, full of pods. If you really want to go collect some of those <laughs> pods right now, um, they could make some nice table decorations for the holidays. But um, there's three of them that sit right there, right at the entrance. Where Mill turns into All-American Way in the median, three Texas 70s. Right there at the beginning of Kiwanis Park. Okay, perfect. Well, we have a couple callers lining up at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. And we'll get to those calls right after this. How do trees get onto the Internet? They log on. <laughs> <laughs> Our tree of the month is the Texas ebony, and David has called in, wants to comment about uh, this tree in particular at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Good morning, David, and I'll introduce you to Mr. Richard Atkins. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I just wanted to give a, a shout-out to the Texas ebony. Um, I uh, stopped turning the Valley of the Sun into Ohio back in the uh, – the 80s, mid-80s. Uh, you and a bunch of us. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, and that brings up a shout-out to Mickey Bond at PC back in them days. She uh, 
in fact, she was involved, I believe, in in Chaparral, um, the Scottsdale demonstration garden. And I think you're probably going to uh, find some Texas Ebony's out there. Maybe. But uh, I also wanted to uh, mention that I planted one of your hackberries. Being up in Winslow, I, I thought I'd try an experiment. Um, I got one down in uh, Verde Valley Growers. Okay. It was a good uh, northern, northern Arizona native plant uh, supplier. And... Uh, they they said it was a legacy tree, and I go, oh okay, my uh, my grandkids are going to be able to enjoy it. And, and uh, very knowledgeable horticulturist said, well, about two hundred years. <laughs> yeah, now hackberry is so a okay. good choice. Very nice tree. <laughs> oh heck yeah, I put two out, and uh, I'm very happy, very happy with them. But those Texas ebony's, that's the subject of the day, and those blossoms are just gorgeous. Yeah, when they come out in the you know starting in June, July, they are beautiful. It really puts a nice, fresh cream color over that dark green leaf. It's wonderful. You said they had a musty smell, but I think they're a little bit sweet. I think they're really wonderful. All right, yeah, I've seen some sweet. But I'll tell you, uh, there's more that I've seen that uh, they just got a little bit of musk oh. to them. But well, you I'm know, they got a sweet one. Kind of depends on the soil where you're at, and I guess who's taking care of it. Oh, there you that's go. what it is. Well, you know, also you mentioned what a great habitat they are. I have one close to my office window, and the quail absolutely love it. It's so dense that they can really hide up in there. Mm-hmm. And actually they get really upset if I go too close to the tree during nesting time, like about 530. You know, they, they come all apart. <laughs> but it's really just a great attraction for birds. That and the flowers, like David was mentioned, it's actually good bee fodder. So when that's up in, the, like I said, in the early summer, you'll see them just buzzing with bees all around the tree. And he was mentioned the, the term legacy tree. What defines a legacy tree? Um, legacy tree, one that's going to be around for a while, like um, we have legacy trees in Arizona that some were, we call them heritage trees, were planted when Arizona became a state, and they are still around, that you can still find some of these. And so legacy is something that you're going to plant that's going to be there, like I said, for more than 100 years or so that just leaves a legacy to the family or the person that planted it. And a lot of those are natives, but there are some uh, other non-natives that will uh, last a, a long time here. I know there's a, a lot of the pecan groves are probably considered close to, close close to, to that, that age and, and still producing and growing strong. Right. There's a lot of the old pecan groves, and you'll see that um, mostly in the southern part of the state, of course, that were planted some – in the teens, but mostly in the 20s and 30s, um, an issue with them that people started to build the homes in them. And you see that puts a lot of impact on the root zone because they try to maintain the trees, but then they put a large home by it and change the irrigation and regime. And so some of those old groves are really starting to just decline. And uh, the citrus, you know, we've got citrus in the state that are, is over 100 years old as well. And uh, is, is there any non-fruit producing, like are some of the old uh, Texas oak or live oaks that could get away with being a legacy tree in the desert? Um, there's some of the older oaks that were planted. Tamarisk can almost be a legacy tree for some of those that were brought in. Um, there's some of the older pines that were actually established early on. Um, 
And then some of the cottonwoods, most of them are not going to last that long. Um, those poplars that, you know, from when the stagecoach used to come through and the trails there because there were poplars that were planted all there. There's one up in Skull Valley that is a national champion tree that's still in place, and that's worth a visit. And the champion tree, that's something you can actually look up and go see the largest known tree of that species somewhere in the state. Right. We have the Arizona state champions, and there's national state champions as well. And the um, Arizona Department of Forest and Fire Management kind of oversees those lists. And callers, the residents, are welcome to nominate a tree that gets evaluated by a committee. We go out and measure them make sure that the tree is exactly the species that they say it is and um, evaluate it and it can be nominated for a great tree of Arizona list. I can't remember the name of it, but there is one tree that's like the champion tree, the biggest known tree of this uh, species in Arizona. And it's somewhere along the Colorado river and it's like 13 feet tall. <laughs> I'm, I can't remember. I'm going to have to look at the list. And, and you look at the picture and like, that's, that's not even a tree that looks like a straw. <laughs> Well, you know, trees, and I've seen some of this in a lot of the larger, older trees, trees start to retrench as they get older, and so they'll start to save their resources, and instead of putting out lots of new growth, they start pulling back in those branches, and so they actually get smaller over time because they can't produce enough resources to put out all this new growth, so they just kind of make themselves smaller. Interesting, kind of like people. (laughs) Well, you know, as you get, you know, I try to stay up straight. But as you start, you know, you sit for a while and you start get up to go walk and you're kind of bent over a little bit. It takes a while to get back up. Exactly. Well, our uh, to do this we, uh, this month is just pruning deciduous uh, trees. Now, are we going to, I mean, we'll talk through that after the bottom of the hour news break coming up. But uh, with in light of the rain coming, we try and time the to do with something to do this weekend but it might be cause for waiting until after the rain uh for before we start pruning yeah i wouldn't prune this afternoon i'd wait probably till next weekend before we start and get into that well when we get back from bottom of the hour news break we'll talk about what to look for in pruning your deciduous trees and of course your calls at one 767 4348 or text questions at 411-923 But baby, it's cold outside. But baby, it's cold outside. Been hoping that you drop in. Talking about trimming deciduous trees, just want to throw a little something in here. Wednesday and Thursday in the valley, the lows are going to be in the upper 30s. So that means the outskirts will be probably close to freezing. So you got to be super duper careful when it comes to trimming and pruning. Indeed. <coughs> I think I just shocked Romy. <laughs> Winter pruning deciduous trees is our to-do for trees this month. And as we mentioned ahead of uh, the break, if you're just joining us, that we could be getting some rain, and we want to wait till after that rain to, uh, to get out the pruners and start hacking away. But what are we going to be looking for at the point it is time to prune our deciduous trees? All right, you know, I want to just add, just not deciduous trees, but when you're getting into winter, it's a great time to start thinking about pruning your thin-barked trees. 
just like the Texas ebony we've been talking about this morning. Um, I never like to prune those during the spring or the summer. Um, when you get little, maybe a little bit later into winter, um, later December, January, February, great time for the thin bark trees, your Texas ebony, your carobs, definitely your citrus at that time. But, you know, right now in winter the leaves are going to fall or they're falling and going to be finished this week most likely with the temperatures getting down into the 30s, what we're hearing. And then after the rain, um, this is time to start getting into your ashes, your elms, your pistache will probably be the last to drop their leaf. And it's nice to let all the leaves go because the trees are starting. We really don't go dormant here so much in the, in the desert southwest, but growth really does slow down. And that's a time to really get in. You can look at the structure of the tree, maybe do a little bit of thinning if you need to, to open the structure a little bit or clear, you know, the driveway, the house or something like that. But this is the time of year when you really want to get in and look at those trees. And what are we, how much are we print, pruning back or trimming? Or are we, uh, I know a lot of times it's uh, pretty easy to go overkill what we should be trimming on a tree. Unfortunately, I saw a neighbor go overkill last <laughs> week on, on their elm tree. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the standard industry rule of thumb is for a mature tree, no more than a quarter of the crown that you want to take out. I mean, younger trees, it's different. Younger trees respond a lot better, and they respond to that loss of growth and put out new growth. Um, an older tree is, is just like myself. You know, I used to bounce when I fell down. I take a lot longer to get back up now. <laughs> um, so you yeah, think of that the same thing with a mature tree. That's a pretty big cut that takes a lot off of it for its energy reserves. So you're going to kind of just be careful not to take too much. And I say, you know, the industry rule is no more than a quarter. But if you only need a few branches to obtain the objective, the whole thing is what the objective of what you're looking to prune. If you only need a couple of branches or maybe 5% of the crown, then that's what the tree is, is going to need. Um, if you don't have to do anything, then the tree is going to love you even more for it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, most trees... You'd mentioned it earlier, you know, like the ebony's, they'll, uh, you know, they, they try and grow to the ground yeah, and shade themselves. their bark. And, mo you know, citrus are like that. All of our deserts are like that. Mm -hmm. um, it, it even seems like our, our mulberries are like that as well. But we always try and shape them up, shape them up, shape them up to, you know, you use them to get underneath. And, you know, my, my hammock's under the mulberry. and <laughs> Well, that's – same with fruit trees. You think of your apples, your citrus you mentioned, your mulberries. I mean, if the branches are hanging down, they're protecting the bark, right? Most of those are all thin bark trees, and that's their objective of hanging down to protect it. But it's also much easier to pick the fruit. I mean, if the fruit's within arm's reach, you know, just over your head or something, you can pick the fruit and enjoy it. And if you have the mulberries, you got the red or the white mulberries. That's just lovely fruit when those come out. And a lot of uh, the, the larger growers on the fruit trees will actually trim their trees so they don't have to use ladders to harvest the fruit. Right. It just makes, like I said, it's easier for the production, especially if you're in production for yeah, fruit. Nice time. That you can just really easily pick the fruit and have accessibility to it. Now, I've over the years heard a number of different things when it comes to pruning. Sometimes if your trimmers aren't sharp enough or you're not using the right type of tool for the right type of branch. You know, if, if your loppers aren't strong enough to do a, a three-inch uh, branch and 
you know, you're, you're sitting there trying to cut and right. you end up, you know, pulling a lot of bark off or the branch breaks and it pulls bark off the tree. The 20 plus years ago, I remember people saying, well, get some kind of paint and dab it on there and, and protect it so insects can't get in there. Right. You know, seal that up. And it seems like that's completely changed. Yeah, that's kind of an old school of thought trying to seal the trees over. You got to think the trees have been on this earth a lot longer than we have, and they've been sealing themselves over. Um, you really don't need to put any type of a pruning paint over the tree. You can use if it's like a big shining cut and it's like right at your driveway or at your front door or something. You can use like a water-based stain or something to kind of just kind of go over it just to discolor blend it a little it. bit and blend it. Exactly, to blend it in. But really, the tree, when you make a cut like that, you want it to be open to the air so the tree can naturally seal itself off. And it'll do a lot better than putting a, a back tar or some type of substance over it that kind of holds the moisture in and doesn't give the chance for the um, zone inside, the branch protection zone, inside where you made the cut to start sealing that wound over. Now, how do you properly cut a large branch if you're not using power tools and, uh, you, you know, what? Going old school with a handsaw, <laughs> which is the way I like to go. I, I don't like using power tools on a tree. Just something about, I've seen too many videos of somebody with a power tool running and the branch falling that just doesn't end And them well. running too. <laughs> no, you can find a lot of those online. Um, basically, it's a three-cut method, which most people should be familiar with. Um, you want to start cutting up from the bottom, go about halfway through the branch. And I use this for even like a two-inch branch because, you know, you think you can hold the branch up, but really it can get away from you pretty easily. They're a little bit heavier than you might think. So you start from the bottom, cut up about halfway through. Or as far as you can get the saw to go before the, the weight well, of the branch Well, that's the thing. That's it. why I say half because a lot of people will start and they'll just keep going and then the, the weight of the branch will pinch down into the curve of the cut. And then your saw is just stuck there in the branch and you really don't have anything to do. So about halfway through and then go right on top of that cut and make your other cut. And it's very directional felling and that branch just falls right off right there and then you can make the third cut back to just outside the branch collar to remove what you would be a stub now if you leave a stub you know something you can hang your hat on that's not good either because it branch doesn't really seal off and insects or disease could get in there so you want to be just outside the branch collar not a flush cut back to the trunk but you can see where there's this little swollen area that's what i'm referring to with the branch collar and you, that's where you want to make your final cut. That's the best way to, if you know, you're want to get out and do some of your own pruning. And I use that with large branches. And like I said, anything two inches or so, I want to make a three-cut method. And I've heard people say, well, Richard, that takes me three times as longer. I'm just making <laughs> one cut. No, actually, it's and it saves you the trouble of, you mentioned that, tearing and destroying the cambium as it rips down the, the trunk. And that's just a big wound for the tree to try to seal over. I was wondering what that third cut was because I was like, okay, one from the bottom, one from the top. And I was always trying to do it at the same, that that was my final cut. But you get rid of the branch and then you've got. And then you got your little stub, stub left of a couple and inches and then you take that cut off. Cut that off. Okay. And that's good fire starter too, depending on because you have that just that little piece there and you can put that in for like kindling for fire starter. Let it dry out. Mm -hmm. Now, I have a personal question here as we're talking about true 
uh, pruning trees. Uh, there is a Palo Verde that we didn't plant right next to our arena. And I have to trim it. I, I would cringe if an arborist ever saw this tree. <laughs> I might do the same. I don't know. Uh, but if I don't prune it heavy, you know, you could scratch your face on the Palo Verde branches right. riding underneath it when you're, you know, ch- chasing the cattle or warming up, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. So I, have, I constantly have to be trimming it up. So it's very lopsided. Uh, but then I, and th- on the north side, it does grow to the ground. So it's like the south side that's extremely exposed, which is you know, horrible for the tree. But it grows v- constantly. We don't water it. Um, it's the only source of shade out at the arena right now. So no one wants to get rid of it. But I keep worrying the way I'm trimming it up that it's making it uh, pretty susceptible to getting blown over. Uh, do, do I need to thin out the top of it as well just to make sure wind can travel through there without toppling the whole tree? So it sounds like it was a volunteer that came up along the fence line. Correct. Um, bird most likely deposited the seed there. It's probably the strongest tree you have on the whole property. <laughs> so um, if you're just living up the side and the other side's all the way down, I'm not sure if you're going to have too much of a wind throw problem because okay. the roots are probably very well established. You could probably thin out some of the growth and not necessarily for the wind to go through it, but more of just to balance some of the weight and get some of the heaviness off of the other side. But I would also suggest, since it's your only shade, why not plant another tree nearby, maybe a little bit farther from the arena wall, and let that grow up, and then you could maybe find a, another home for this other Palo Verde. So, um, where we've got the trees planted, they are actually uh, red push pistache. Okay, and they're nice. on the west side where our roping boxes are. So eventually, that'll shade the western side of the arena where you would start your event. This tree is almost to the east side where it's just. Um, we've got other plans for that mm-hmm. area for the, right, <laughs> instead of, instead of a tree coming. Eventually, a little picnic area, a little announcer stand. Uh, observation box for uh, you know people that are coming to just hang out and watch uh, the events that are going on. But for and, now, it sounds like you've got it fairly under control. Just make sure you have that nice, clean cut. Go back to where a branch is started, where you've got a bud or a node, because then you can directionally prune that tree, and you can you can make that branch go off to the north, south, and, you know, along the fence line. And you can just train it to go like that, and it might actually be a nice specimen after a few years. So, All right, we're talking trees. It's Rosie on the House with you every Saturday morning. Well, Rosie posed an interesting question during the break that I think would be a good tie-in, especially seasonally, uh, perfectly tied in. What if instead of buying a Christmas tree that's been cut down to decorate and temporarily have and throw out. What about planting your own Christmas tree? And there's a lot of people that do that. It's very popular. And um, even within the municipalities, most of them here in the Valley, if you didn't want to plant it on your own property, um, they'll take the donation. They'll plant it in a park or something for you. But no, that's a, that's a very good way to go about it. It's very much more sustainable. 
Although, I will put in a plug in for the Christmas tree growers, that is a lie, that is their business, and trees are grown for that purpose. But that aside, so you want to look for a lot of the trees you can find in small little um, tabletop trees. Most of those seem to be Italian stone pines. They will do okay here, but basically what you want to look for is an alderica pine. Um, that's going to plant out in your yard and give you a lot of nice years of um, benefit and value following. And uh, I'm not too familiar with the alderica pine. Um, it seems like a uh, Afghan pine. Afghan pine, pretty, alderica pine. Same it's the same thing. thing? Okay. And those, if I remember right, they're uh, more of a winter watering. That it, 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 It's kind of reverse – of what you would think. They're, you don't have to water them so much in the summer, but they take more in the winter. And that's a good point, and that's something with your win- winter maintenance. Most all the pines that do well here, um, your Aleppo pine, your Afghan or your Alderica pine, your Canary Island pines, they're all Mediterranean species. And that's when, in Mediterranean, that's when they get most of their moisture. And when we're talking about watering, and a lot of people tend to you know, short their irrigation during the winter. But that's when the pine trees really want a good water. Now, they're going to need some in the summer too, but you might got to make sure to give your pine trees water during the winter. That January, February, March is a very important time for them. And you had mentioned Af- uh, Aleppo pine. I tried to find those. You can't even find a- an Aleppo pine there's and, a few and, around, but they're hard to they're hard to find from from a nursery. nursery. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time because I wanted to plant them on the south side of the property. I love those old irrigated horse properties where they've got the row of Aleppo pine that you can tell were planted, you know, in the 20s and 30s and a long time ago. But it, you can't hardly find an Aleppo pine, and everyone wanted to know you. All we have is Afghan now. And is that ah? Uh, or are they just it's more well, of a, a maintenance aspect in my opinion I mean you'll see the Aleppo pines are some of the oldest pines that you'll find in Arizona they're up into the 80 90 years old now some, some are getting to a hundred and they're starting to go into decline um, but they're very large you got to have a lot of space for them I mean they grow up three or four large trunks and I mean they can become maintenance and then, you know, when they do start to decline, you know, they can be very expensive if you have to, like, prune them or remove them. There's there's one on the north side of Bethany Home, like about 11th Street, that's got the whole— I know that ha- he, He's got half of Bethany Home got a speed bump in it. But, Romy, you can have my 50-foot Aleppo. <laughs> Come and get it. It's yours. Take it. It's yours. And that, that one's interesting because there was a, a palm tree that was grown under it. That was taken out, and when that was taken out, you could see where the Aleppo pine had grown perfectly grown over right over top of the it. palm. I mean, it was it was a reverse umbrella right underneath the Aleppo pine. That was very interesting. When's the best time to plant a Christmas tree? Let's say I'm going to do that. Is it this point in the year? And then how long would it take before you get a tree you like? Well, what do you, you think? you're going to like after the holidays. I mean, January, excellent time. Um, pine trees tend to take a little bit more time to establish. So, you know, they're going to kind of sit for about a year or two before they really start to take off. You know, when you, when you plant a young tree, you try to think of it, it sleeps for a year, then it creeps for a year, and then it leaps 
for the years after that. So if you want to think about it in that type of a time frame. But your pines are going to take probably two or three years before you're really going to start to see new candles, really good growth coming out, and it's going to start providing you that benefit and value that you're looking for. And how big will an Afghan pine get? You're going to get up to 40, 50 feet with time. Okay, you can still get uh, Oh, you can good still height. get a good height out of it, and you'll get you know 24 to 30-inch diameter tree. You still want to make sure you give it space. I mean, a lot of people, that's a problem. I'll get called over to homes. Well, we've planted these pine trees every year for Christmas, but they're right by the patio. <laughs> and so, you know, you're starting to see root incursions on the patio and the concrete infrastructure. So you want to put it out into the back part of the yard or on the side. Yeah, that was one thing we had talked about but never fully executed just because we didn't have water to the far side. But we wanted to do a pine each Christmas on the property. and then, But we weren't going to do it in a straight row because – you know, you start sporadically, so it's 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 not like you end up with this sloping. <laughs> right. So you have a, a you know some mixture of sizes through right. there, and that becomes your legacy tree. You were talking about legacy tree, planting the pine every year from Christmas, and then you know as you know the family goes on every year, you can come back to that tree and have memories. Well, we appreciate you spending your Saturday morning here with us talking trees. We've covered a lot. We covered the uh, Texas Ebony, our tree of the month, covered pruning. Um, one other thing to wrap up just because um, uh, and, and the, the Christmas tree planting. But we have uh, fertilization coming up for a couple trees. I know a lot of – I've heard some people say that don't fertilize trees that are dormant because you're just wasting water – you're wasting fertilizer, they're dormant. And mm -hmm. Some people say, no, the roots are still active. You need to fertilize. Uh, so go ahead and do that. Right. I'm in your ladder school there. Okay. I like to um, fertilize in the fall. I'm getting a little bit late now. Um, I'm more of a uh, November type of fertilizer. But, yeah, the trees are slowing down. But then there's, there's the storage in the soil, and they're ready. So when spring comes and the buds are breaking and the tree's ready to go, the fertilizer is there. A lot of people that wait until spring to fertilize, you're kind of missing that flush and that benefit. Now it'll be throughout the summer there'll be some benefit. But if you really want that good spring bud break and flush, the fall fertilization and get everything ready. The soil's still warm enough here for the most part. Um, especially in southern Arizona. But I think that's the better time for your fertilization. And when you're fertilizing trees on your property, are you using granule or are you putting uh, liquid into the irrigation? Um, you can go both ways. I like a liquid fertilization. You can dissolve it in a bucket and pour it around the tree. Very good. Richard Atkins, Certified Arborist, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us talking trees. Thank you. Thank you.